0: Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8 as we continue in meeting Jesus Christ in his word. It's a real privilege to join in with the other teachers in this church and to teach you from God's word. I really, I'm really grateful to be here today. And the Lord heard our prayer and held off the rain, and if he doesn't, feel free to leave. I won't take note. All right, these are God's words, and I'm going to read these. And then our intention today is to hear these words and see Jesus Christ to get beyond the preacher, get beyond the background to the text so we have a better understanding of the text, and that we would see Jesus who is present with us at this very moment as we gather in his name. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Matthew 8, verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you may go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Let's pray. Lord, on the surface of... This is a difficult text for us living here today in America in the 21st century. And so we pray that you would give us eyes to see what Matthew has written here, that we might see Jesus on the side of the lake with these disciples and give us eyes to see and ears to hear you today as we sit in this beautiful place in this life that we have in the 21st century. May we see Jesus and understand his will for us as well. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. A lot of us have a tendency to commit to something without considering what might be included in our newfound passion. This was the case with Paul Stutzman. Stutzman is a Christian, a lifelong Mennonite, from, as he tells it in his book, a very moralistic church. Some time ago, he lost his wife to cancer in his early 50s. Like myself... He was a weekend hiker and occasional backpacker, but he had always dreamed of one day hiking the Appalachian Trail. With his wife gone, his children now grown, he was haunted with loneliness for the woman he had loved for 30 years. And not only that, but he was consumed with guilt for how he had neglected his wife in his pursuit of a career and money. So, like any reasonable person, he decided to hike the Appalachian Trail. Like me, he had hiked small portions of the trail and had, like me, read the books and watched the videos by people who had completed the five-month-long journey from Georgia to Maine, a hike of nearly 2,200 miles. He went on the hike because he wanted to commune with God. He wanted to find direction for his life. And he thought a five-month-long walk in the woods was just the way to do it. He had no idea what he was getting into. The cold, the exhaustion, the brutal mountain climbs, and dangerous river crossings, the bugs, and the bears, and the rain, sometimes... Days of slogging down a trail in the rain. Yes, it was a walk in the woods, and yes, God met him and taught him much about the grace that comes through Jesus. But he learned that there was more to hiking the Appalachian Trail than carrying some food and a tent and a sleeping bag through the wilderness. Now, here's the sentence, and here's why I'm telling you about this. At the very end of his book describing his journey, he says this When I started this hike, I never imagined how difficult it would be. Had I known, I would never have attempted it. And yet, he says, the journey was priceless to him. He's Grateful, he didn't know what it would require. He went expecting what he saw in the videos. (laughs) The mountain vistas, the refreshing waterfalls, the wildflowers and the deer with their fawns. And he got all of that. And he got much, much more. Had I known, he said, I would never have attempted it. In our text today, we have two men who want to follow Jesus. The passage describes them both as disciples. In that day, a disciple was a person who wanted to learn from a teacher, and so he would attach himself to his teacher by going wherever his teacher went and observing whatever his teacher did and doing whatever he was told to do. These two men want to be Jesus' disciples. He's leaving the crowd. They want to go with him. But Jesus doesn't leave them ignorant about some of the realities that come with following him as a disciple. Instead of letting them find out later, he tells them up front what it's going to mean. Now, before we go further, we've got to set the context and we've got to to get a picture in our minds of what's going on here. In verse 18, there's a great crowd surrounding Jesus. Jesus didn't. Conduct his ministry like popular preachers and politicians of our day. No security fences at his gatherings. No roped off areas for the VIPs. Nothing separated him from the crowd. You didn't need a special pass to go see Jesus. He had recently taught the crowd on the side of a mountain. Telling them of the blessedness of those who submit to the kingdom of heaven. He promised Blessing to the poor in spirit, the grieving, the meek, the merciful. He pronounced a blessing on those persecuted because they followed him. He taught the law of God like they'd never heard it taught before. Promising provision for life's needs to all who asked him and protection from the storms of life. When he ended his sermon, Matthew records that the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. As the crowds follow him down the mountain, he healed a leper. Lepers were victims of one of the most horrible and isolating diseases in that day in that society. Then he healed the slave of a Roman military officer, a Gentile Roman officer, officer just because the man had faith in him he healed peter's mother-in-law and then many from the crowd who were mentally deranged by demons and others who had chronic illnesses and debilitating injuries all were healed by jesus and so you can imagine people pressing around that man wanting to get his attention wanting him just to touch them and he looks at his disciples and says, "It's time to cross the lake." They were on they were in Capernaum. Capernaum is a lakeside town, and Jesus is saying, "Get the boat ready. We're going to the other side. We're going to separate ourselves from the crowd. Just my disciples will be going with me." Simon Peter and Andrew, we know from chapter 4 are his disciples as are John and James, and they are all fishermen. So I can imagine, I think we can imagine them preparing the boat to go with the crowd clamoring for Jesus' attention and him trying to separate himself from them. And in the midst of all this, these two men approach him. They don't want to just hear him, they're not there for a healing touch. They want to follow him as his disciples. And so Jesus tells them something of what that means. The first man places no requirements on his willingness to follow. He says, I'll follow you wherever you may go. And this man was no uneducated rube. He was a scribe. He was an expert in the law of Moses He liked what he heard from Jesus and then saw of Jesus. He wanted to learn from Jesus. So he tells Jesus as he's preparing to leave, I'll follow you wherever you may go. He puts no limitations on where Jesus can take him. He's ready to get in the boat. He's ready to do whatever's coming next. So Jesus' response is surprising. You'd expect him to say, come on, hop on in and (laughs) let's go. Instead, he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He talks about foxes and birds. Near the house Nancy and I moved from a year ago, there lived a family of foxes. We'd see them in the backyard, and I often caught sight of them along a walking path that was behind our house that followed a stream. Sometimes I would spook them, and they would run under the dense brush along the stream, and then they would seem, you know, there'd be all this noise of them in the bushes, and all of a sudden, boom, they're gone. And so after a while, I realized they had a den there. They had dug a hole deep under the ground— And whenever they felt unsafe, or when they bore their kits, their babies, they would run to that place for safety, for sleep. Foxes have dens, Jesus tells the man. They have a safe place to sleep. If you follow me, you'll find I don't have a safe place. Same goes for birds. They have roosts and trees where they spend the night to sleep, protected from ground animals and hawks. The creatures of this earth have safe places to sleep, Jesus said, but the Son of Man has no such place. When the scribe heard son of man, it had to get his attention because he knew his Bible well. It must have caused him to wonder, is Jesus saying he's the messianic king that Daniel, Daniel describes in his prophecy? How could it be that such a great king, such a wise teacher, such a miracle worker would have less protection than the creatures of heaven and earth? How could this be? The point of the text is not that if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to be homeless. The point is that his itinerant ministry will take him places where he won't have a bed to sleep on or a house to keep him safe from the rain and the robbers. In fact, the passage goes on, which we'll hear next week, that that very night we find Jesus sleeping in a boat that is about to be swamped by a storm. Matthew doesn't tell us how the man responded. This is different from the story of the rich young ruler who wants to follow Jesus as long as he can keep his money. So the point isn't about the man. The point is about what kind of life is Jesus living? And if you're going to be his disciple, what kind of a life must you live? The second man expresses a very similar desire. He wants to follow Jesus, but he has some obligations to fulfill first. Would Jesus permit him to wait? Look, look at, again at verse 21. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, if you were a Jew... In Jesus' day, this was an entirely reasonable request. Now, before I explain what he was saying, let me tell you what he was not, what Jesus is not saying, the ma- I mean, what the man is not saying. The man is not saying, uh, My dad just died today, and I have to arrange for his funeral. Can I catch up with you in a week? Jewish funerals in that day, and you'll notice even among many Jews in our day, funerals take place within 24 hours of a person's death. If the man's dad had just died, he'd hardly be out in the crowd listening to Jesus. He'd be attending to his father's body and preparing a funeral. So that's not what's going on. Jesus is not denying him attendance at his father's Funeral. What the man is expressing is the traditional obligations of a son to his father as long as the father lived. If you're familiar with traditional cultures, especially in our day, and it's probably because I've known numerous people who live in America whose parents came from Asia, In those cultures, a child has obligations to obey and care for his parents until they pass away. So even after the child is grown, his parents have significant control over his life. Now, the Jews developed this ethic from the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. So the law of Moses mandates honoring one's parents, later Jewish literature applies this to a child's obligations to obey and support his parents until they die. Now, maybe like me, you've heard some preachers say, actually what the man was saying is if I follow you, Jesus and don't stay with my dad, he'll cut me out of his will and I won't get the family inheritance. I've heard preachers say that. That's not in the text here. We can't assume that's what the man was thinking. There's nothing that the text says about that. What the man is saying is, I have obligations to my Father. I must fulfill them. Once they're fulfilled, I'm all in. So in that society, the request was reasonable. And in that society, Jesus' response is shocking in fact what he's saying is follow me well not in effect what he says is follow me leave the dead to bury their own dead the new testament scholar rt france notes that to bury my father was likely a common expression that meant that a person had obligations to fulfill before he could do something else So it could even be an expression that was applied beyond family obligations. Let's say someone invites you to start a new business with them, and it looks like a great opportunity, but, well, i got to turn you down. I still have to bury my father. Dad may, at the moment, be quite healthy and fully alive, but some things must wait until all family obligations are fulfilled. Or it could be an expression that applies to any binding obligation where it's just expended beyond family. So you say, um, hey, uh, love to go to the game with you, but as the saying goes, i got to bury my father. In effect, what Jesus is saying is, let those who place family obligations above following me take care of themselves. You follow me. Loyalty to me comes before loyalty to your family or to anyone, or to anything else. Jesus is not repudiating the commandment to honor parents. In fact, later in the gospel, in chapter 15, Jesus affirms the commandment and a child's obligation to use his money to care for his parents. So here we have two would-be disciples of Jesus. The first presumes he knows what he's getting into, The second wants to put limits on how he follows. And Jesus blasts away their illusions with a dose of reality. Following me may lead you to some difficult places. Following me must come before any and all other obligations. Now let me ask you a question. Which of these two responses do you find most challenging? A first century Jew would have found Jesus' response to the second man not only challenging, but shocking. You mean to tell me that you come before my parents? But such a commitment like that is not shocking to us, not to us Americans. We live in a world in which the individual comes first. Everyone understands that if a great career opportunity takes you out of state and away from caring for your ailing parents, hey, you got to follow your dreams. Or, as a neighbor put it to Nancy and me regarding her failed marriage, i got to go find my own happiness. We may not relate to family obligations, but we still put other obligations ahead of Jesus. Jesus, I will follow you, but permit me first to finish my education, meet my financial goals, finish baseball season. Hey, we're in the playoffs. Complete my retirement bucket list. We find other obligations perfectly reasonable, and we use them to justify putting off following Jesus so we can achieve them. But let me tell you what I think. I, I, I think it's Jesus' response to the first man that is most shocking to a modern American and his sensibilities. Foxes have dens. The birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. We live in a world that is hyper committed to safety And security. Before we set foot in that boat with Jesus, we want to know the name of the hotel we'll be staying in across the lake. We want to know its rating on TripAdvisor. We want a weather report. We want to look at the recent Coast Guard inspection certificate on the boat's bulkhead. And if we can't check all those things off, well, I'm not so sure I'm in. Look, Forget all the news media and, you know, get your head out of all the news media stuff about the pandemic. Just think about what it's been like to live in this society in the last 18 months. For the last year, Nancy and I have lived in an apartment building and you could see the fear in people's eyes as you pass them in the hall remember one young woman, and I'm coming up the stairs, she's coming down, and she she goes back in the corner, and she says, I'm sorry. She's afraid. She's afraid. Here's what we want as a society. We want to be told that there is a zero chance of getting COVID before venturing out. And then if we do get it, we want to know there's a hospital bed for us if we need it. Now, I'm not criticizing anyone in particular. In fact, if anything, I'm criticizing myself because I live in this network of safety and security. I want to know I have great doctors available to me. I want to know my investments are protected and will make me money. I want job security. I've got insurance for all kinds of stuff. I'm not criticizing insurance I'm criticizing the way we put our safety and security before our commitment to Jesus. Listen, we are all more prone to this than we realize. Over my lifetime, I've heard preachers warn of a pros- the so-called prosperity gospel we've been warned of a theology that says if you simply have enough faith you won't get sick and you'll get rich but that's not us right oh we're above and beyond the prosperity gospel and i would say not so fast maybe we carry in our hearts our own version of the prosperity gospel If I obey Jesus' commands, if I tithe to my church, support its ministries, if I teach my children well and live a healthy lifestyle, I'll never have financial need. My kids will turn out just the way I want them, and I'll live to a ripe old age, dying in my sleep after winning the 10K race for the 80 and above bracket. That's a good life. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm aiming for. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my life around all the things that will lead me to that safety and security and prosperity. Well, let me tell you something. I've lived long enough to see what happens when we put terms on our faithfulness to Jesus And I've seen if our kids don't end up honoring us and if we don't have enough money to retire and if the church doesn't seem to meet our expectations, we end up old and bitter. Because we didn't count the cost. Because we didn't hear Jesus when he said, foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus promises everlasting Life. And that doesn't include safety and security along the way. And if you haven't heard that yet, pay attention now. Because if you want to follow Jesus, you got to get in a boat and there's going to be a storm. So the call of Matthew 18, 8, 18 to 22 is twofold. Here's, here's two points. Following Jesus must come before human security, number one, and number two, following Jesus means he comes before all human obligations. Let me repeat, following Jesus must come before human security, and number two, following Jesus means he comes before all human obligations. Now, I could conclude here but you can endure the drizzle for a few more minutes because I got two important things to say, or you're going to miss something in the wider context of this text. We've now come to a dangerous fork in the road because what we tend to want is a list of do's and don'ts so we can know that we're obedient. But notice Jesus t- treats each man differently. Okay, so, so well, maybe, maybe Jesus is meaning I should be homeless, or I shouldn't own a house, or I shouldn't have any insurance, or uh, I, I should quit my job, or... No, he treats each man differently. One came presumptuously, one came on his own terms. Only Jesus knows what has a grip on your heart. For the rich ruler, it was his money. For some, it's family. For others, it's health, or safety, or fun, or excitement, or success, whatever it may be. To all of us, Jesus is saying, follow me, even if I lead you to a place of insecurity. Follow me, even if others make demands on you that you must refuse. Okay, so it's not about having a list of particulars to follow. It's about your heart and my heart. It's about what's got a grip on me that would keep me from following Jesus. That's the first thing. See it in that context. Now, one more thing. Before we leave this passage, we've got to be pointed in the right direction. Because if you just isolate the text apart from the gospel, you're going to miss where the gospel is going. This passage is about placing Jesus above all personal and relational concerns. But the emphasis of the gospel is never on the cost. In the wider context of the gospel, the cost is insignificant if it means that we can follow Jesus. Follow me, Jesus said. This is the Son of God. This is the blessed one, the one who not only conquers sickness and demons and raging storms, he conquers death. We follow this person, this God man. He doesn't give us rules to see how far we'll stretch ourselves to prove our faith to him. He lays out the realities of what it means to follow. He says, you may lose your earthly securities. You may offend people along the way. By not meeting their expectations. But, he says, you get me. You get eternal life with me. My path led to suffering and death, which makes it possible for you to even follow me. Your path will include suffering and death. But in the end, and along the way, you get me. You get joy in my presence, even in sorrow and pain. You get confidence in the midst of trouble. You get to glorify me and my Father, just like I was able to glorify my Father when I walked this earth. You've got to see this story in that context. So the warning of the text is not to attach a new list of rules to your discipleship. The promise is that if you give up all your earthly protections and obligations, what you get is worth more than the whole world. You get eternal life with God through Jesus Christ. So as we go through this gospel, Matthew will unfold more and more of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What it means when he says to you, And to me, follow me. And as we get an increasingly better view of who he is, the difficult realities of following him pale in comparison to what we get out of being a disciple. Because what we get, what we get as disciples, what is of inestimable value, that far surpasses all things is we get him. And that's enough. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we are no different than these two men in this text. Like them, we want to know that our future is safe and secure We want to know that no evil will befall us. Not only that, but no evil will even come near us. That we will face no troubles in this life. Jesus, we got other goals in this life. We have obligations to family, to friend, to work, to desires that we have. All of them in themselves may be good things, but you come and say, no, no. I'm worth more than all these things put together. And so we pray, Lord, that you would, you would sanctify our hearts. So when the point of choice comes, we say, even if I don't know where I'm going to be sleeping, I'm in with you, Jesus. Even if it displeases those around me, I will follow you. Give us this, Lord, not just today as we're together with all these like-minded people. Lord, give us this when we are at work, when we are with the family at the gathering, when we, were sh- when we are shopping and in the neighborhood. Give us this deep awareness of what it means to follow you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.